Hey there, and welcome to the Fantasy Fantasia podcast, a podcast where a bunch of theater nerds gather around and play various tabletop role-playing games, such as Dungeons & Dragons, Monster Hearts, Monster of the Week, Call of Cthulhu, and more. This podcast was partially made possible by the Alumni Association of the University of Windsor, so big thanks to them. My name is Eric, and I will be your Master of Ceremonies for tonight's episode of Undergrad, A Monster Hearts Tale. Previously on Undergrad, A Monster Hearts Tale, Evelyn, Iris, and Kane were able to capture the pixie, have it switch back Dr. Egan and Zack's bodies, and return it to the Fey Realm through the now-healed Tear into Reality. Before departing, however, the pixie warned them that the Tear was made by malevolent powers, and that the very ground of Oakhurst seemed strange and dangerous. Dr. Egan and Zack, now back in their rightful bodies, easily thwarted the vampire Avertok. In the aftermath, Dr. Egan was able to salvage a small sample of the potential cure to vampirism. Before they returned back to the group, Dr. Egan attempted to hypnotize Zack to get him to forget the whole ordeal. Though Dr. Egan was unsuccessful, Zack played along. The chapter closed with two decisive moments. Zack and Egan, rushing to the campus police station upon hearing that the Hive had been arrested, caught for breaking into the greenhouse, and Iris and Kane gearing up to confess to each other the many secrets that lie between them. Welcome back, everyone, to Undergrad, a Monster Hearts tale. Chapter 23, Confessions and Convictions. Our camera opens on a snow-covered campus as the snow gently falls from the sky. This is some time ago, well before the pixie has arrived. In fact, it's Christmas Eve again. And we see a figure, lone, walking between two buildings, singing Christmas carols to himself, rather enjoying all the space and freedom he has now that the campus is mostly empty. And from behind him, he hears footsteps crackling the snow. The figure turns around to address the sound. Though he's unable to see anything, as the end of this pathway he's walking is quite dark. And he says, Hello? Is anyone there? Uh, I'm... My name is Abel, a Abel Granfield, and uh, I I'm here as well. There's not many more faces, so uh, if you want to hang out, I've got some candy and some drinks and... Hello? There's no answer. Abel continues to walk. However, he notices that the footsteps behind him grow louder. Finally, he turns around and says, Okay, this isn't funny anymore. Who, who's there? A dark figure makes their way towards Abel. Finally, the figure passes into this small amount of light, just about ten feet in front of Abel. And instead of recoiling in fear, Abel smiles. And he says, Oh, Cain, it's you. And as Cain approaches Abel in silence, our camera fades away.
Iris and Kane, you find yourselves alone in the society headquarters. Everyone else has left or gone to bed. The chairman and Lucky are away. So what would you both like to do? So, Iris, you said earlier in the day that there's something you wanted to talk to me about. Oh, oh, right. Um, yeah, secrets. Huh. Okay, um, I just realized that I'd been keeping something from you that I think I kind of was intentionally because I didn't want it to ruin anything and I came here to just be me. So, um, I feel really bad because you've been telling me everything and I've been kind of keeping something from you. And I just feel so bad, and if you want this ring back afterwards, it's fine. Well, 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 well what is it? Mm. Um, well, um, my aunt, who, who let me come here, we, um, she's kind of the fairy queen of our clan, so I'm kind of part of the royal family where I come from, which I know is not a big deal here, but back there it is. And, um, it's kind of what I escaped from, all that pressure, and, um, it's kind of why I didn't commit to anybody while I was there, but... Yeah, I'm kind of part of the royal family, so I don't know what that means for after graduation. If they're going to need me back or, or whatever. I don't know. I just wanted to tell you because I felt bad not telling you that. Oh. And it actually hits him. He's like, oh, okay. Um. I mean, my aunt loves love, so I'm sure she'll let me stay, but I just felt bad that I was keeping a really big part of my story from you. God damn it. <laughs> the guilt just keeps piling on. Uh, um, Please don't think of me differently. I really like that you like me for me, and I was just Iris here. I wasn't part of the royal family, and everyone loves my aunt, so they just have to love me. Wow. Um, that definitely puts a damper on things. Um, what? Oh, no. Well, no, um... Here, I'll make you feel better, okay? He's just gonna say it. <laughs> he, uh, oh my god! He's just gonna say it. Oh gosh! Um, so, um, here, I'll help you feel a little better. Um, mm -hmm. I've been, I've been lying to you too, like for kind of since the beginning of our relationship in a way, but more so, <laughs> um, more so in the last wow. like three weeks or so. It's kind of just built, climaxed to this thing, and um, I hope you don't think of. You're gonna think of me differently. Why am I even trying to mirror your words back to you? And he just like plops down on a chair. Oh my gosh, Kane, listen. If you don't want to say, you don't have to say. I don't want to force you to do anything. Forcing people to do stuff is bad energy. I just really felt like I wanted to tell you that because I don't know. You should probably know everything about me since you wanted to give me this ring. I would follow you to the Fey. You know that. If you had to go back. <laughs> I know that. But I feel like that won't even matter by the end. What? Because you hate forcing people to do things, but that's all my life feels like is forces forcing me to do things. The reason I fell for you so quickly um, at, at first was not necessarily because it was truly what I was feeling. Um, it's because I kind of have a debt to pay by the end of my three years here that um, in order to maintain my life that I've been building, I need to take the heart of someone who is in love with me and I'm in love with them and cut it out and bury it at this crossroads near my old house. Um, well, so 
the reason I I uh, wanted to get get together with you at first was because of that but 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 and he kind of is like grabbing oh. your hands. Um, I swear that is not the reason now, because the reason Evelyn's so mad at me is because uh, that that ring is actually uh, has a little a little itty bitty part of my soul in it. What? Because. Because I decided, wow, this is a lot of, this is a lot of information. Um, I decided that I didn't want to cut out your heart because I actually really do like you. Um, right? Good. Good thing. Um, so I figured by the end of my three years, I'm probably going to be dragged to hell because what? I didn't fulfill my debt. I know. But I'm hoping that this part of my soul tethered to earth could possibly bring me back if that's something you feel like doing at some point you don't have to I understand if this really turns you off from our entire relationship and you probably just want to turn away and leave me in hell that's totally acceptable I mean, you're, you're going back to your, your aunts I'm going to hell it's like kind of it's, it's like two star-crossed lovers who are brought back to the, their roots you know uh, Kane, oh I think God. that wins for the most fucked up Romeo and Juliet reference I've ever heard. <laughs> Iris is just, I feel like she's silent and almost just like vibrating slightly. She's like, she's kind of shaking, but she's like, it's like she's trying to process everything in her brain. And it's a lot. Kane's never seen her like this before, so he's definitely, like, anxious, but he's like, yeah, just take your time. I understand that's a lot, and it probably doesn't make you feel good, but I love you so much, and the reason I made this ring... Oh, I guess I should just come fully clean. Um, in order to make the ring, and why Evelyn was mad at me, was because I had to cut out the heart of an innocent person and eat it and then take some of their blood and some of my blood and put it into the ring. Um, so you kind of have that they're able, you know, my neighbor, Abel, the, my, my neighbor, um, he, uh, he, he transferred um, to the ring. Oh my God. <laughs> so that's everything. No more lies. Oh. That, that's all. I feel great. My. What, what a weight off my shoulders. <laughs> Um, okay, holy I feel shit! Like, I feel like there's probably like a beat of complete silence, and you just hear like the crackling of the fire as it just stares at Kay. Oh my god! Um, holy well, shit! Well, Iris, how the fuck are you gonna react to that? Oh my god! Um, can can I go darkest self? Oh, this is oh. such a major betrayal of trust and love. And okay. If there's anything to trigger a darkest self, this is it. So, Iris, why don't you say what your darkest self entails? Uh, holy shit. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, Iris' darkest self is everything you say is a promise. Everything you hear is a promise. If a promise is broken, justice must be wrought in blood. To escape mm. your darkest self, you must in some way rebalance the scales of justice. Oh. Yeah, so I kind of feel like... This is actually where I see Iris finally using like her fairy contract move, which I've never used before because I haven't really felt like Iris needed to do many promises and collect. It's a really cool thing, collecting contracts and promises, but it just didn't make sense as Iris normally was. But yeah, I feel like when Iris feels like a really strong negative emotion inside of her um, that gets her into darkest self, her fairy spirit kind of inside her human body has to kind of max out to match that human emotion to keep things roughly in balance inside of her. And when that happens, she regains for that time a bit more 
fairy magic, I guess, which justifies her having this fairy contract move that I've like never used before. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. So yeah, I, and um, the whole like becoming violent to rebalance the scales, I just see as like the negative emotions just kind of taking hold of her a bit more, and she almost goes into like a barbarian rage in D and D. Oh my god. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Iris is kind of standing there and she's starting to like shake and her eyes like go this like bright green color mm. and she's just like and she's just kind of shaking and she isn't saying anything and then she looks down at the ring and immediately takes it off of her finger and um she she looks at him and she says you you killed someone to to make this ring you you killed someone for us. What? You, oh my god. You took you took an innocent person's life to make this ring. And she's like shaking. Answer me, Kane. Yes. She looks down at the ring and then looks back at him and goes, We need to rebal I need to rebalance the I need to rebalance the scales. I have to we need to destroy this ring. I need to destroy this ring. No, you can't destroy the ring. Soul for a soul. We need to take no. a soul for a soul to rebalance the scales. I need to damage this ring. And she like goes and like starts looking around the room for like something to like smash it with. Iris, if you destroy that ring, you are you're killing any chance of us actually being together. You see a, a framed mallet that says like uh, from the very first trial that ever took place in the law school and it's framed. She like picks it up and like grabs it and like just like stands there holding it and she's like, I need to rebalance the scales. You killed someone, Kate. Iris. No, no, no. You don't you have to destroy the ring. Okay? I know I did, but we can make it up in a different way. Okay, that's my only chance of my not head. being dragged to hell in a couple years. I don't know what I... to do. And she's like shaking and there's like tears coming down her eyes. There's got to be another way. Okay, the the ring. Uh, you you don't realize how hard it was to do that. I'm not an evil person. Okay. You killed someone, Kate. You killed someone. And because I love you and I want a chance to be with you. I want to I want to be with you too, but you killed someone. I don't know what to do anymore. And I think she just she brings out her wings and she just like fly, she like goes to the door and like pushes it open and flies away. Shit. And as Iris flies away, the door swings open and snow enters the foyer of the society. And Kane, as you're standing there alone, from behind you you hear what did you do? And as you whirl around, you see that the chairman is staring there, looking at you, looking very sad. I did what I had to. You're a damned fool, Kane. And he walks away. Kane's just gonna go for a walk. <laughs> Our camera follows Kane out of the society into the cold of night, takes off into the sky, and settles back on Iris flying as the snow whirls around her. Iris, what are you doing right now? Oh my god. I think Iris flies into the forest right basically to the spot where she first appeared um, in like episode one um, in the field or wherever it was and she's just like crying and she's like holding the ring and like holding what was it again Eric? A statue or? Do you mean the framed mallet? A mallet. Oh my god it's a mallet. <laughs> okay. 
Um, and she's just like looking at it and like crying and she'll like put it on the ground and like go to hit it and then stop. And she's just like, she just can't figure out what to do. And then she keeps thinking about all the words that Kane said about like, you know, that he originally went, like got together with her so he could kill her and then that he didn't. And then um, she feels selfish for, for letting this happen, but doesn't want to break it. And it's just, oh, she's got so much going through her mind. The flowers hear you crying, and you hear some of the flowers go, Why are you crying, dear child? It's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, they're nighttime flowers. It's soothing, it's soothing. It's ASMR. <laughs> I don't know what to do right now. Your heart seems troubled. Yeah, yeah, it's between selfish and what the right thing is in my culture of what to do. I just don't know what to do right now. And she's still like shaking this entire time and her eyes are just this bright green color. Um, do I be selfish and give up everything I am as a fairy? Or do I do the right thing and kill and, and smash this ring? Which means that I won't have a future with Kane. Well, what does your heart say, dear? I don't know. My heart hurts so much right now. Close your eyes and listen to what it's telling you. And I feel like inside it's like her human emotions want to be selfish and, and love having love and, and then her fairy with like the justice and stuff wants to smash the, the thing. And um, she kind of thinks about the what needs to be done and she gets an idea and she picks up the ring and picks up the mallet and she's gonna fly around campus until she finds Kane again. So Iris, once again, you take off into the snowy winter's evening and as you look for Kane, our camera will fade away. Undergrad, a Monster Hearts tale, will return after a brief word from our sponsors. And now, a word from our sponsor, Antonino's Pizza. Our specialty is pizza. That's what we do. It's what we do best. We don't offer pasta. We don't offer wings. We don't offer fries. We stick to what we do best, and we believe we do it better than anyone else. The best pizza in town or your money back every penny. We have three locations, South Windsor, Tecumseh at Manning and Amy Croft, and LaSalle on Malden Road. And now, a word from our sponsor, Brimstone Games your one-stop shop for all your tabletop needs. Located at 1421 Tecumseh Road East in Windsor. Hi everyone, this is your MC Eric. I just wanted to check in before we continue with our Monster Hearts episode. And thank you so much for all the support that you've given Fantasy Fantasia so far. Please, if you love the show, feel free to share it with your family, your friends, your fellow RPG companions. A little bit really goes a long way for us. Also, just a reminder that our secret episode collaboration with Skipping Stones Theater, which has 11 players and will take place at the Learn to Be a Leader Day Camp, where our AV club is throwing in to leadership roles with the students of Lovecraft High, so you don't want to miss that. The whole thing costs only $3 to listen, and that will be out at the beginning of June. All right, everybody, let's get back to the episode. Thank you so much for supporting the Fantasy Fantasia Podcast. And now, back to Undergrad. 
A Monster Heart's Tale. Our camera cuts back to Evelyn. Evelyn, you have left the Society headquarters leaving Iris and Kane alone for some time now, and you make your way back to the snowy campus and find your way back to the roots and your dormitory. And, you know, it's got the same, like, flickering lights. You see the occasional rat. You catch Half-Ear leading a strike team. It looks like maybe against some mice who have gotten a little too friendly in, in the basement. Um, but what you find at your door, there is a sleeping redhead with frizzled hair curled up next to your door. And when she feels the creaking in, in the floor, she kind of wakes up and, and looks at you. She's holding a knife and she's like, I had to make sure that no one was here so I would stab them. And I only had to stab two people, so that's not bad <laughs> for the roots. What are you doing here? I, I sent my latest weight measurements to my parents and, and we got in a pretty big fight. And um, I just don't know who else to go to. I'm so sorry. You know what? I, I think you came to the right place. Why don't, why don't you come in? Um, do you like cats? I love cats. Okay. Um, then you'll you'll like my cat whiskers. Okay. I really love the smell of uh, litter too. Sometimes I just mm, fresh smell of litter. So good. <laughs> okay. Um, that that I, I didn't need to know that, but um, <laughs> um, thank you for being com feeling comfortable enough to share that with me. Why don't you come on in and, um, I, I could make us some popcorn? She goes, okay, um, and she pulls out, uh, I'm going to say she pulls out a VHS copy of Sleepy Hollow, like the Disney, um, old animated one. Oh, okay. And goes, wanna maybe have a early movie morning? <laughs> you know what, that sounds like a lot of fun. And as you both enter your dorm for a fun popcorn and movie-filled evening, our camera's going to fade away from that. Our camera opens back up outside the police station. Zach and Dr. Egan, you've just slammed on your brakes to enter the parking lot. Zach, what do you do now? Okay, so Zach, uh, armed only with his, uh, his guitar, is going to walk uh, through the parking lot and uh, into the police station. It's like 4 a.m., so there's not a whole lot of people there. You can see the hive, like, in the back of, like, a holding cell in the back. It's it's, it's not very big. Uh, determinedly, he uh, he puts his bandana on his face. Mm -hmm. He walks into the uh, the middle room of the police station. Yeah, the receiving room, I guess. I don't know, the place where you do the crime. Well, you don't do the crime. You, you, you file for the crime. I don't know. How, how police stuff works. Never been. <laughs> okay. Life experience. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, he starts, uh, singing this song in the middle of this, uh, this Yay. place and just, uh, plays, uh, on his guitar this, uh, this hypnotic, almost, uh, distracting melody. Uh, and, uh, as he's doing that, he's gonna activate nice. his siren song. Nice. There you go. Okay. Give it a roll. No lucky coin, but, uh, that's a nine. Okay. Uh... I guess uh, everyone who hears it is entr uh, entranced until they take a harm or are put in danger. Okay, so I'm going to say that there's really only like one cop in there. He looks to be on the night shift, really fucking tired. You, you, you kind of were starting to play and he just pops up and listens to you and stands up and just walks really closely. He doesn't walk in any harm. So he gets within like six inches of you and just stands there staring at you play. Completely glazed over. Okay. He's going to continue playing his song, and uh, 
as he's doing that, he's looking around for any sort of key or anything. And um, Egan goes up to um, the guy and sort of uh, whispers in, in his ear, Do you have the keys to the holding cell? He just, like, still staring at Zack, pulls them out of his pocket and holds them up to you. Thank you so much. And she takes the keys and walks back to the holding cell and opens up the, the cell and lets them out. What's up, Doctor? Weird. <laughs> okay. Okay. So still playing his guitar, he's going to move uh, towards like the CCTV security camera. Uh-huh. And he's going to smash his guitar over the camera and break everything in sight. Nice. Okay. So, Zach, let's have you roll a It's Showtime and add your volatile, please. That's a seven, though. Okay, so, yeah, you you smash a lot of stuff. That's what I'll give you. You smash a lot of stuff. The camera goes out on your end. All looks pretty good. Oh, okay. Mm. Um, and he uh, picks up the pieces of his now broken electric guitar mm. um, and just says, uh, Come on, guys, we gotta get the fuck out of here. All right, let's get out of here. Hey, I'm really not built for jail, man. Shut the fuck up, Alexis says and drags Brian. <laughs> and they all pile into your Yo. van. Egan, make sure the uh, uh, this officer doesn't remember a thing, okay? Got it. And uh, do you want me to roll for hypnotic? Yeah, roll for hypnotic. Okay. Yeah. Okay, oh, that's nice. That is a 13. Oh, yeah, with a roll like that, Egan, he's just looking at you, eyes fucking glazed. He'll do anything you want right now. And she says to him, You don't remember booking them. Yes, I don't remember booking them. And you will destroy all evidence that they were ever here and expunge their record. I will expunge their record and make sure that no one knows they were here. Now when I leave this 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 uh, station, that is what you will do <laughs> when I close this door. Yes, of course, mistress. Mm, good boy. Gives him a little kiss on the cheek and then <laughs> opens up the door and slams it behind her. And as you do that, he kind of, you, you see him as you drive away, kind of snap to and starts to go over to uh, the, you know, Zach busted up the computer, but you do see he pulls out like a floppy disk and starts like breaking them. So clearly Zach didn't get everything. So so that was a good thing that he he's, he's kind of breaking it all. And he goes to the back room. Okay. And Travis goes, what the fuck? Man, they caught us trying to steal the Euphoria as a fucking mess. Yeah, man, I'm sorry I put you through that. That was fucking stupid of me. That's right, man. We almost got it. We we're like this close, but no, we got caught by that ass fucking hole, Bull Steel. Uh, what? Bull Steel was there. Yeah, I I, I don't know, man. He, he, he arrested us. We got booked and he, he raided my room, man. It was bullshit. Ugh, fuck. Okay. Okay. This is fine. It's fine. We're just, we'll think of something. I mean, if everything's destroyed, he can fucking believe all he wants. Fox Holly already fucking hates him. <laughs> yeah, he already fucking hates us. He's He's got a fucking motive. Uh, maybe he just did this to his own fucking police station. Yeah, God, good, God, good. Anyways, man, who needs a fucking joint? I, I need a fucking... And, and Travis just pulls out like a joint he's been hiding in his in his underwear and just fucking lights it up. Oh, <laughs> that's the good shit. <laughs> None for me, thanks. It's fine. It's cool, dude. And Zach, as your hive mobile goes racing off into the night rescuing your friends our camera will fade from you and egan our camera opens back on an evidence room at the back of the police station we see a figure sitting in a chair probably about six or seven times too large for the chair it's of course sergeant bull steel 
he is looking at all of the evidence he's confiscated from Travis's room. And you see that there is a hive t-shirt, a old teddy bear, a weed pipe, and a Cheech and Chong journal. And as he's carefully examining it with gloves, the evidence door room swings open and Bullsteel looks over to the officer on duty outside and goes, Yes, what do you want? And the officer looks at Bullsteel and goes, I must destroy the evidence and expunge the records. And he walks over, and before Bullsteel can react, he grabs the teddy bear and touches the teddy bear, gets his fingerprints all over it, rips it open. And then he runs over to the glass weed pipe, throws it on the ground, it shatters everywhere. He rips the hive t-shirt, and he goes to grab the Cheech and Chong journal. But before he can do that, Bullsteel reacts and stands up, grabs the cop's arm and bends it backwards and breaks it. The bone juts out of his arm. He lets out a almighty scream. Ah! That snaps him out of the hypnotism. However, Egan, I will say he does not remember anything. He's just now not actively trying to expunge the record. As he screams out in bloody pain, the officer looks and goes, uh, Bullsteel goes, what the hell were you doing? Get the fuck out! Bullsteel gets him out, makes sure he's safe, calls an ambulance. Finally, when the scene has kind of wound down, Bullsteel is by himself back inside the evidence room looking at the Cheech and Chong journal, the only thing left. And he opens it up and peruses it for a few moments. He picks up the phone and he makes a call. And you hear, Captain Fox Holly, this is Sergeant Bull Steel. Listen, ma'am, I know that you have not been my biggest fan lately, but I think I have something for you. Something you're going to find very, very interesting. And you see the page that he's on in the journal reads Drug Connects. And you see at the top it says Molly Molly. You see there are a few names under it scratched out saying they went dry. And the very last name that's under it, that's double highlighted in terms of trying to get your attention or even saying that he's a great connect, is Abel Granfield. And on that, our camera fades <laughs> away. Iris, the campus is very quiet right now in the evening, and you don't have a hard time finding Kane at all. So, Kane, where have you gone on campus? Uh, where you find Kane is sitting against the brick wall of the sanitation plant because he feels like that's where he belongs with just the fucking shit. And he has, like, his head in his lap. He's like, I deserve this. She, like, flies down and just stands and, like, just, like, touches the ground and just stands there staring at him, like, still just, like, tears streaming down her face. And she just kind of looks at him and doesn't say anything at first. Iris, I... I think I'm I'm a really fucked up person and you should destroy that thing. You're you come from this fae world. You're you're such a good person. You bring such light and I feel like I'm just continuously pulling you into some dark hole and changing who you are and I I don't want that. I don't want you to have to pay for my mistakes or to make these sacrifices for my selfish reasons. So if, if you want to destroy that ring, I, I understand, and I, th I think you should. Part of me doesn't want to because I love you so much and I want us to have a future, but the other part of me knows that what you did was just horrible, and it needs the... The scales need to be rebalanced, either with this ring or... 
or with another life, and if it has to be my life, that's fine, but the scales need to be rebalanced, Kane. My life is already gone. I've done too many bad things. I think everyone's time on this in this world is finite. It has to come to an end eventually, and I'd rather my time with you be spent with you being who you are and, and loving who you are instead of changing into something worse. I, what I'm trying to get at is that I'd rather the next two years with you be amazing and full of love than to have this gloom hanging over us for a possible future that we don't know is certain. I think we need to destroy the ring, but there's other things that need to happen and it's going to be really hard to look past the fact that you killed someone. Are you saying you need a break? I don't know. All I know right now is that I think this ring has to be destroyed. I can't wear it. And we need to find wherever you put the body. And it needs a proper burial. And she like puts the ring on the ground and says, I know this is going to be really hard for you, but I think you have to do it. He, he walks over and he grabs the mallet he kind of just weighs it in his hand and he's he's kind of pissed at himself for because it was all for nothing but he knows it, it is the right thing to do and he doesn't want to continuously he doesn't want to keep making bad decisions he wants to be a good person this was a chance at a new life he doesn't want to be a bad person so he kind of looks down at the ring and he raises the mallet and he says Oh, I hope this really doesn't hurt. And he smashes it. Kane, you bring up the mallet right in the air and you bring it hard down on the ring. And with a loud bang, the mallet explodes into a million pieces and the ring cracks into seven different pieces. And you see them scattered across the snow. And as the ring parts begin to steam, they sink into the snow and disappear. But Kane, in terms of health wise, you feel fine right now. <sighs> you know what? Actually, I feel good. Thank you for doing that. And I think... Uh... Does that take her out of darkest self? I'm going to say yes. Like, that that was a pretty big thing. I was like, the moment you heard that ring shatter, it snaps you out of it. She kind of, like, like kind of steps back for a second and her eyes go back to normal and her shoulders finally slump and she just takes a big breath in. <sighs> now, where's the body? You know that small lake that's kind of, like, half a kilometer into the woods? Like, a little bit that way and he kind of points? Let's, uh, let's go for a walk. It's in the water, so like when you get there, he literally has to like go swimming and grab this thing oh at like God. the bottom of the lake. <laughs> so it has gotten significantly colder since then, Kane. It has been very cold throughout this past month. So the lake oh, is fuck. pretty much frozen over, so you're gonna have to find another way to get in. Can I try to roll dark to see if she can use her powers just to like warm it up and she'll just dive right in? Yeah, you absolutely can do that. She she's she's desperate. She needs to rebound. She still feels horrible. So Hey, it's a... Oh my god, I got a 12 plus 1. That's a 13. Yeah, awesome. So, Iris, when you fly over that spot that Kane indicates, literally every flap of your wings over the ice seems to melt it a little bit more until there is room for you to dive down. Wow. And she just dives right in without thinking. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, and Iris, as you descend into the lake, you know, you pass it from fish and eel. It's cold, cold water. But at the very bottom, you see the very much decomposing corpse of Abel Granfield with two crabs eating what's left of his eyes. Oh my god, her heart just sinks, but she knows she has to pick it up and bury it properly. 
the crabs eating his eyes like tumble to the the sea floor as oh you my pick God. him up. Can I say God she like bursts out of the water and lets out this shriek of disgust as she drops the body and steps away from it, and then turns away for a second and just takes a breath to collect herself. Kane feels so bad. And you can see that that the chest is clearly ripped open. He's got some ribs like sticking out. It's 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 not a great sight. I feel like she just wants it properly buried to make things feel slightly better, so she just drops to her knees and starts clawing at the ground to dig a hole. As you claw on the ground, you actually hear the grass and flowers go, Don't worry, sweet child. We will give this this poor soul a warm home. And you feel the ground kind of start to shake as the grass and flowers itself are moving their roots. The earth falls underneath the body. You see Abel literally get accepted into the earth. Oh, wow. Um... Kane walks over to Iris and he doesn't put his jacket on her because he wants to tread lightly and make sure she's okay so he kind of takes off his jacket and offers it to her if she wants it I feel like she kind of looks at it for a second and looks back up at him and then realizing how freaking cold her like human body is she like takes it and just puts it on and then just stands and like stares at like the hole where Abel went in just for a really long time and from the hole that you had made there, Iris, the flowers and grass return, but you can hear some of the tulips and daisies going like, even though it's the middle of winter and flowers grow around the grave site that you've built. And uh, despite the winter, they seem to be doing okay right now. Iris, I'm, I'm really sorry to put you through all this. She just kind of nods and just keeps looking down at where the, the flowers are. I'm also sorry about your your own family situation. That's that's a really big deal. I you're being put through a lot right now, and I'm sorry I made it worse. But sorry's only get you so far. So I promise that I will do whatever it takes to make it up to you, and to stop making evil demonic decisions. <laughs> There's good in you, Cain. And you were dealt a really shitty hand. That doesn't excuse your actions now, I mean. But I understand it was harder for you. And I know you were desperate when you went to that demon, but you have to try and keep choosing the light. And then she just kind of slowly starts walking back to uh, to the treetops. Do you and Kane sleep in two different rooms? Yeah, she I says, would say yeah. For yeah, sure. yeah. She definitely, she, she definitely just says she like takes off the jacket when she gets back to her room and hands it to him and says, "Thank you. I think I need to be, I need to be alone tonight." Yeah. Um. Why don't we say um, kind of give you your space. I love you. I know. Oh, <laughs> the Star Wars <laughs> references! I love it. Yes. <laughs> On that, as Iris shuts the door on Kane, leaving Kane alone in the hallway, staring at the door, he enters back in his own room. As the door opens on his room, you can hear Peter the chicken still clucking away. <laughs> but as he goes to bed alone, our camera is going to fade away. Our camera opens back sometime later. Kane, you wake up. Oh, God. And you're standing in snow at nighttime. You're walking in the snow with Iris holding hands and laughing, which is weird because that's not where you left last. 
You're walking through a kind of semblance of the Oakhurst campus until you walk past an alley and you see something laying on the floor, blood steaming around the snow with a little steam kind of coming up from the blood surrounding the stained snow. And when you look, you hear Iris's voice kind of trail off and you look back and you realize she's gone. You're not holding her hand anymore. And all of a sudden, like I said, Iris isn't there. And you look back at the figure laying with blood around it, and a figure is now standing above it, and you can hear this squishing sound. And the alleyway that you were in, as now there's now buildings surrounding you, as if you only have one path to walk, and that's straightforward. You walk, you can hear the echoes coming from the buildings surrounding, and you realize that their windows are these intricate stained glass work. And as you pass each of them, they kind of light up. And the first one is a boy hiding under a bed with two shadows uh, through the door in a fighting pose of his mother and father. And you pass another window on your left. And the boy is now sitting in a room by himself, reading over a book. The third window lights up and we see that you stand at a crossroad with a long shadow with horns looming under you. The fifth window you see two dead parents with these X's in their eyes piled on top of each other as Cain is smiling and the looming shadow grows ever bigger over him. And the final window is you see Cain's back with his backpack and the shadow looming under him again as he walks through the Oakhurst welcome gates. And Cain, at the end of this path, you see the figure standing above this dead person and you can hear the squishing sounds of a heart being eaten. You see Abel on the ground open his eyes and looks at you and says, Why? I thought you were my friend. And the figure eating the heart turns around and Kane, you see you looking back at you, but you have blood all over your face. You're holding the heart and your eyes are glowing green. And as you kind of get locked in this 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 nightmare and you're like screaming at yourself remembering this, our camera kind of does a fade out. And what we see is Kane moving in his bed as if he's having a terrifying nightmare. And he's tossing and turning, speaking to himself. And in the corner of his room, we see two steady glowing green eyes. As his bestie sits on his dresser, watching him as if watching a lab rat. And the bestie's giant grin glows in the darkness as he opens up his hand and opens his hand and you see a faint red ring, fully fixed, sitting in the bestie's hand. And the bestie closes his hand and says, Wonderful, Kane. And now, things get really interesting. And our camera fades away. Oh my god. What? <laughs>
Hey there, thanks for listening. Tall Tale Theatre Collective is proud to announce that we are expanding our podcast network to now feature two programs. We will continue to present our horror series, Night Terrors. Welcome to a world of thrills, threats, and terrors. Night Terrors is an anthology radio play podcast that will bring you face-to-face with your nightmares. Come listen, if you dare. Introducing our newest program, Fantasy Fantasia, which includes two RPG podcast campaigns. The first is Dungeons & Dragons, Legend of the Silver Flame. Experience laughs, suspense, and triumph with a motley crew of adventurers who could be the last hope against great evil, long thought to be vanquished. The second is Monster Hearts, Undergrad. Follow the tale of romance, mystery, desire, and murder as an unlikely bunch of mostly pubescent monsters navigate their social, academic, and supernatural lives at Oakhurst College. Listeners even get the chance to weigh in on the action of both campaigns. For more, visit our website at www.talltaletheater.com. Tall Tale Theater Collective. Grow with us. <laughs>